Man, have you ever had a time in your life where, where someone let you in on a secret? And they didn't just let you in on the secret just for knowledge's sake itself. They let you in on the secret so that you could, you could help, you could be a part of it. I think about several years ago, many years ago, one of my friends, Josh Willis, used to serve with us on staff. Um, he, he came to me and he said, hey, you know, I've been dating Molly for a while. And he said, I want to I propose and I need your help to accomplish this. And, and he said, she always dreamed of, of playing this piano in a flower field. He said, so number one, I got to find a piano. And number two, can I store it in your house? Number three, can you help me load, a tra- load it onto a trailer and take it out to this field? And I'm like, absolutely. You know, I would love to be a part of this. And pianos are super light, if you were curious. <laughs> And we get this you know, piano loaded up and we get it lo- loaded out in this field. It's super easy to move a piano in a, in a dirt field. We get it set up. And, and it was just this, this moment where you know, this secret that he had, Molly had no clue, most people had no clue, but he shared it with me. And he didn't just want me to know, he wanted me to know so that I would do something with it. And I love the story, absolutely love the part of scripture that we're gonna be in this morning. Daniel was, was going about his life, genuinely, just, just like you and I, just, just living for the Lord, loving the Lord, and the Lord decides that he wants to let Daniel in on a secret. And it's so beautiful because Daniel wasn't asking for it, you know, it wasn't like he was just banging on heaven's door, God shared this with me, you know, but God decided it was time to share this incredible secret. And, and what's so beautiful is that the form through which God chose to share his secret was through a dream, through visions. You know, we're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks, but we absolutely believe that one of the ways that God spoke and still speaks is through dreams and visions. And what's so amazing about this dream in particular that we're going to be looking at today, this vision, is that um, it didn't pertain to Daniel really at all. It was a dream, you know, in our world where we're so self-centered and so fixed on us that God gave Daniel this secret that was actually going to go to bless generations to come. He's going to bless you and I this morning. I've been tra- if you've been tracking with us the past five weeks, um, we've been studying through the book of Daniel, and so far we've really just kind of been in the first six chapters of, of Daniel, looking at stories of, of Daniel and his friends, and it's all really been about his personal life, some really familiar stories, maybe for some, maybe new stories for others, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, and Daniel in the lion's den, just some really amazing stories, and, and we've been looking at his personal life, and today we're going to start looking at the prophetic life of Daniel. And when I, when I say that word prophetic, I don't know what you think or what comes to mind. So I want to just kind of give us a, a baseline for what I'm talking about. And so prophetic is God shows up and, and he speaks to Daniel so that Daniel can make sense of what's going on around him at the current moment. But he also speaks to fill him in on things that were to come. And so prophetic was about revelation to understand what is, but also what is to come. And, and, I, and I love this because God does it in kind of a really beautiful way through dreams and visions. So for the next three weeks as a church family, we're really just going to have our noses in the scripture and just really looking at these dreams and visions. And so, you know, what we are hoping to do, and this is going to be a little bit longer introduction, but hang with me for a minute. I think it'll be worth it. If not, you can, you know, tell somebody else later. Don't tell me. But we, we, are, we are trying to, to lay a foundation um, with these prophecies in Daniel. 
So for the next three weeks, man, we want to just help give some basic understanding of, of why these prophecies are in Scripture, a basic understanding of what they mean and what we are to do with them today. And if I'm being honest, the majority of my life, um, I've gotten to chapter 7 in Daniel and the rest of Daniel and a lot of the Old Testament and Old Testament prophets in particular. And if I'm being honest, I just read them and I'm like, man, this stuff is so confusing <laughs> and, and so hard and there doesn't seem to be any relevance for today. And so I'm just going to skip over this. Like, I'll go to the New Testament, read something that's easy to understand. And, and the problem um, when I treat scripture like this, or when we treat scripture like this, is it's really like skipping leg day when you exercise, right? <laughs> and, and no one likes leg day. Like, no one likes squats and, and lunges. You hate that your hamstrings and your butt hurts for four days afterwards. And so, honestly, you, you see that and you're like, I'm just going to skip Orange Theory today. Like, I don't like what we're doing. I don't like where we're going. And, and, but here's the truth, man. If, if we actually want to know God, like the fullness of who God is, we cannot skip over the hard and confusing stuff. And what I've come to realize as I've been studying Daniel really pretty in intensely for the past two, three years, and I don't claim to be an expert, so don't hear me saying like I've got it all figured out. I'm not saying that even in the slightest, but, but what I've come to realize is that, is that God has secrets hidden in the book of Daniel that he wants to share with us. Um, things that I wholeheartedly believe are so relevant and so important for us to hear today, not from a history lesson, not just from a historical perspective, but that if we will lean in, you know, that's how you receive a secret. You lean in. If we'll lean in, we'll hear it. And our God is a God who loves to reveal and loves to speak. And so um, I want to say this because um, I think if you're like me, this is a, a temptation you're going to have to fight against. We are not going to unpack every detail the next three weeks unless you want to have like a nine-hour sermon. And then I'm happy to do that. And, but as we read through, you know, as, as we were reading through um, this text, I'm going to read through it in its entirety in just a minute. Um, you're going to notice that there are so many words, and you're like, man, what does that mean? And, and, and what does that mean? And, and the temptation is, is to want to understand everything. But what we want to help do in these, these next three weeks is just kind of give us the big purposes of the prophetic. Okay, so we want to see the forest and not just the trees. Does that make sense? We want to see the big picture. And, and then we're going to, well, later this fall, we're going to jump into a teaching series. We're going to have a grow class that I'm super pumped about where we really are going to hone in on these details. And we're going to look at the trees because they're incredibly important. But today, we're just setting some pillars. And so I'll say this, and then we'll, I'll read through the text. Uh, my family and I got to go to the beach back in May. And the beach that we went to, um, every single beach house that was there was built on these giant wooden stilts. And so sometimes you go to the beach and, you know, because of the tide and because of the host of things, the, the houses are really just kind of built on the sand on the way back. But all these houses were built on 16 or 20 or 30 foot are, are, are pillars. And I was talking to one of the guys one day who was doing some work and, and he was talking about how important it was to set the pillars deep. And, 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 and the reality is, um, today, what we're going to do is we're just going to try to set some pillars. And the truth is that I think it, the, the fun stuff, the real fun stuff comes at looking at the details. The fun stuff comes with building the house, but you cannot have the house without the pillars. You cannot have the house without the foundation. And so we're going to set the pillars first. And so I want to just read through this text. I invite you to, to read the Bible, do whatever it is. It's probably going to take me about three and a half minutes to read through this. And I'm a pretty decent reader. And so read through this with me. 
open up your Bible, read along. There's gonna be words on the screen, but I want us to hear these words together. So this is Daniel chapter seven, starting in verse one. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. And he wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came out of the sea. The first was like a lion and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and a mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had 10 horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me, and he gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the 10 horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The 10 horns are 10 kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will rise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people, try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit, 
and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, and I kept the matter to myself. The word of the Lord from Daniel chapter 7. What a text, right? Let's take a breath. I need a breath after reading that. The first pillar that I want to set for us today, you know, the first purpose of the prophecies in Daniel is that, is that so that we would understand that our God is all-knowing. So why are we studying prophecy? What are we supposed to take away from prophecy? Big kind of pillar takeaway. Our God is all-knowing. Right, and so Daniel has this dream. In his dream are four beasts, and these are beasts like you see in the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Lord of the Rings, there are wings everywhere and eyes where there shouldn't be, and it's just this weird this weird vision that he is seeing. His head is spinning. He is disturbed, just like a lot of us. And I love verse 15. Daniel said, I was troubled. The visions that they disturbed me. Verse 16, so I approached one of those standing there and I, and I asked him the meaning of all this. And so he told me, he gave me interpretation. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. All right, so, so hang with me today. Today, we're looking at Daniel chapter seven. One of the things that I love about the book of Daniel in particular, chapters two, seven, and eight, Daniel chapter two, Daniel chapter seven, Daniel chapter eight, is that God in each of these chapters gives a different dream or different vision. But in each of these vision or dreams, um, man, description is given about these beasts. Daniel chapter two, seven, and eight each give some piece of information or detail, or they bring clarity about these kings and kingdoms, which means that if we are only looking at Daniel chapter seven, it's like looking at one corner of a treasure map. That in order for us to really understand what God is trying to communicate here, we actually need to have Daniel two, Daniel seven, Daniel chapter eight in front of us. And so instead of me teaching on all three of those chapters today, what I wanna do is just kind of explain for us in a really condensed version, but trust that you will go and read for yourself. Do not take my word for it, okay? Go and read, go and study. This is important stuff. And so if all we have is Daniel chapter seven, what we would see is that there are four beasts and, and we would all be confused. Like, what in the world does this mean? But you turn to Daniel chapter two and what you discover is it's a different vision given to a different person, you know, even different beasts, but, but an explanation is given about what this first beast is. And the first beast is um, King Nebuchadnezzar. It's the empire of Babylon. Go and read Daniel chapter two. Um, you were to go and read Daniel chapter eight, and what you discover is that insight and, and revelation is given about the second and the third beast. And so the second beast, um, it's, it, it's, it's like a bear. It is representative of the empire of the Medo-Persian empire. You see it in Daniel chapter eight. Go and read Daniel chapter eight. And the third beast, the one that looks like a leopard with wings, Daniel chapter eight, God tells us that this is the Grecian empire. Now, we don't get that if we just read Daniel chapter seven, but when we look at the fullness of what God has given to us in scripture, it's why it's important that we don't just read one part of scripture, but we read it all, we get familiar with it all, is because God has secrets in it that if we will search, we will come and find. And, and what I love is that our God did not mean, mean for this to be just some impossible puzzle that keeps us confused. No, our God desires for us to know 
and to understand and to not walk around in confusion. And so what's so beautiful about what is happening here? Daniel receives these visions, these dreams during the Babylonian empire, which means that God showed him prophetically the next two empires that were going to come. That before the Medo-Persian empire, before the Grecian empire came, God put them in scripture by name. And this is exactly what came to pass. Any historians, you'll read about the Babylonian empire being overtaken by the Medo-Persian empire. Medo-Persian empire lasted for around 208 years. And then after that, the Grecian empire led by Alexander the Great, who most of us have heard of. And I don't want us to miss this. This would be like someone in the 1400s in America going, you know, I'm seeing something. That in a couple hundred years from now that, that America is going to go to battle against the, the British and they're going to gain independence. And then a year later, they're going to fight against themselves. I'm just telling you, if we found a document like that, we would give attention to it. And it's so easy to miss this in the scripture, what is happening, but let's not miss this. Our God is all-knowing. The first pillar that we need to set if we're gonna understand the prophetic is that God wants us to understand that he knows all things. I love Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, that God says, I make known the end from the beginning. I make, make known from ancient times what is still to come. And so you're like, okay, Brandon, thanks for this great history lesson. What does this mean for us? What do we do with this? How can we possibly apply this to our lives? You know, when I was in high school, tore my ACL. And I didn't just want anyone operating on me. I wanted someone who, who was reliable. Someone who had proven to be effective. Someone that, that had knowledge, that had been trained, that was good at what they were doing. And, and I was just thinking, guys, every single one of us, we build our lives around someone or something. All of us do this, whether you consciously are doing it or not. We, 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 build ourselves, we, build, we build our lives around what we want or our feelings, or we build our lives around what our, our favorite professor says or about what our favorite author says or about what Buddha says or about what Allah says. And so many of you here today, you've chosen to build your life around what the God of the Bible says and who the God of the Bible is, which is so wise. Because no other religion and no other person has the track record has the wisdom and the knowledge and the trustworthiness like the God of the scriptures. And those of you who've chosen to align your lives under the lordship of Jesus, and this is not just a book among books, one of the things that, that you know is that you don't understand everything in this book, you don't understand everything in life, but you know when you've applied the teachings of Jesus and scripture to your life, there is an unsearchable peace and joy and hope. Doesn't mean life's easy. But everything makes, you know, there, there's purpose, there's redemption, the story, it, there's, there's, there's everything about it. And you might be in a, a season right now where things are foggy. Man, but the thing about the God of Scripture is that, man, he's all-knowing. And so many of you, you've come to understand that in your lives. The, the first purpose, the first pillar that we would understand is that our God's all-knowing. The second pillar that I want to put in the ground for us today as we think about prophecy in particular in Daniel is that God wants us to be aware of what's going on around us. And so it's not that he just wants us to, to know that God's all-knowing, but he wants us to be aware of what's going on around us. And so for Daniel, 
the vision that he received in Daniel 7 was mostly future. And I say mostly, but because the, the first beast that he saw was, right, was, was the lion. And the lion was representative of the, the empire of Babylon, which was the empire that was ruling when he received this vision. So the first beast was current, but the next three beasts, the bear, the leopard, the terrifying beasts, were all future. We looked, about, we looked at and we talked about the, the second and third beast being the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, but did you notice that I didn't give an explanation about what the fourth beast was? I don't know if you caught that when we were reading through it, but it was actually the fourth beast that really terrified Daniel. What's so different about um, the fourth beast, if you were to read through Daniel 1 through 12, what you're gonna find is that Daniel isn't told specifically who this king is or what this kingdom is, like he was told the other ones. God doesn't give the explanation, the interpretation of the fourth beast in Daniel. And because of this, for the past 2,600 years, there have been so many different interpretations. People have attempted to identify what or who this fourth beast is. And because of this, man, I think it's so easy just to go, okay, Randon, well, God doesn't explain it. Let's just ignore it, right? Let's, let's just go to something else that makes sense. But I think we would do well to learn from Daniel. Look at what he does in verse 19 with this confusion. He says, I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast. Verse 20, I wanted to know the, about the 10 horns on its head and about the other horn that came up. Verse 21, as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. I wanted to know, go down to verse 23. So he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. And it will be different from all the other kingdoms and it will devour the whole earth. Trampling it down, crushing it. The 10 horns are 10 kings who will come from this kingdom and then another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue the three kings. He will speak against the most high, oppress his holy people, try to change the set times and the laws. Verse 26, but the court will sit, his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Now, there's lots there, obviously. And if you're like me, you're like, well, what does that mean? And let's dig into this. And again, hey, we're gonna get into that later this fall. Today, we're laying the foundation. I love this, though, because God doesn't say to Daniel when Daniel asks about the fourth beast. And so, so many of us today, we're like, man, what does that mean? And you're leaning in. And I love that God doesn't look at Daniel and go, you know what, buddy? It doesn't matter. Just go read the book of Matthew. Go read something easier. Go read Acts. It's easier to track. No, I love what God does. God engages and entertains this question and then explains more thoroughly. God doesn't tell him who the king is or what the kingdom is, but he tells him what the king will do. You know, my personal belief, in particular of, of this passage of scripture that we just read, I really believe that, that this is all still future. Um, I really believe this hasn't even happened yet. There are others and there that, that, that believe that, that some of this has happened or most of this has happened. And we'll dig into some of this later this fall. We're not gonna get into the details today. Whether this is something that is purely future, which I believe it is. And if it is future, 
man, that really changes the way that we should read and study this. Amen? It should make us like sit up a little bit and go, oh, wait, this isn't just a history lesson. This is, yeah, you would do well to study, um, to really pray, to ask God for revelation, to really pay attention. It's a really big deal if this is future and not just history. Um, it means there are things that, that we should be looking for and paying attention to. Our God wants us to be aware And I love this because God, man, he, he clues us into some things that he wants us to be aware of. Look at verse 21. As I watched, the horn was waging war against the holy people, defeating them. Let's get down to verse 23. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different. It will devour the whole earth, trampling it, crushing it. Verse 25. He will speak against the most high and oppress his holy people. Guys, if, if we are expecting in this life, man, to submit your life to Jesus and then everything's just up and to the right, we are going to, to be misunderstanding and we're gonna misdiagnose and ultimately we're gonna miss God in the midst of, of heartache and hardship. I really believe that what God is trying to do here is he's trying to put it on our radar. Hey, in the days ahead, following Jesus, will cost you. That there will be oppression. There will be persecution. And if we are not ready for that, man, I believe it's honestly the human tendency for us to, when, when th hard things happen, especially when things have, that, that, that are involving the Lord, it, it is so easy to go, why is this happening? You ever wondered that? When hard things come your way, have you ever asked that question? Maybe you didn't verbalize it, but you, you're, you're wrestling with that in your spirit. And, and I think that's a natural human tendency to try to make sense of what's going on around us. And, and so often what we do when, when hard things are happening around us, we try to draw conclusions, not based upon what the scripture says, but based upon what our goofy friend says or what our feelings tell us instead of the scripture. And if you and I, if we don't account for the fact that our loving Father tells us in Scripture that as God's people, there will be persecution and oppression, man, when it comes, we will completely flounder. But I love this, guys. The prophetic is so beautiful. Because God loves us, he wants to prepare us so that there are zero surprises. So that when it comes, we stand strong. But when it comes, we go, our God told us about this. And we're not surprised and we're not, we're not going, God, why have you turned? Man, that, that when persecution comes, I was talking to my sister Nancy, we'll be able to face persecution just like the disciples did where, and Jesus tells us to rejoice when you're persecuted. And we'll go, thank you, God, that you prepared us. And this is absolutely horrible, but we're not in the dark. Our God loves us. The prophetic is so much proof that God loves us. Man, he loves us. Any good parent does everything they can to prepare their kids for what's coming. And you can't possibly prepare your kid for everything. But a good parent anticipates and then brings them up to speech. Here's a really silly example. Just kind of lighten the mood for a second. Whew, let's take a breath. It's heavy. This week, my oldest daughter, Finley, went to um, junior church camp for fourth grade through sixth grade. And my wife and I, you know, we spent, you know, 
several weeks just getting her ready and um, getting her bags packed and talking to her about it. And it was about an hour and a half drive there. And the last 30 minutes, you know, I'd been sitting on this and I'm like, all right, Finley, I gotta, I gotta prepare you for something. She's like, what is it? And I said, there's this tradition at church camp where when you're eating meals, they'll do this thing called around the mess hall. And there's a chance that while you're eating a meal, they're gonna call your name and you're gonna have to run around the room with some boy. And she was like, dad, I am not doing that. Like, I will run out of there. And I'm like, don't run out of there. Like, I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you don't get all red faced and, you know, and, and, and so you're ready for it. And I go, man, so much of, of what parenting is, and I want us to see this, we are being fathered by God here. He's just parenting us, getting us ready. Second purpose in in Daniel is that we would be aware of what's going on. The third pillar that we're gonna gonna plant today about what to do with prophecy, how to understand it, is that God wants us to be in awe of Jesus. He wants us to know that he's all-knowing. He wants us to be aware of what's going on. He wants us to be in awe of Jesus. Look at verse eight. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated. Books were open. Verse 13, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I know the Ancient of Days is God the Father, the Son of Man is Jesus, and we're gonna unpack that in just a minute. But, but I, wanna, I want you to see this kind of back and forth happening where Daniel, man, he is so disturbed. He is thinking about this fourth, fourth empire, this fourth beast. And did you notice what God did right here? Like in the middle of his thought, God just disrupts his terrifying thought and he shows him the Father and he shows him the Son. Did you see that? I think that pattern in and of itself is so helpful for followers of Jesus. How often our thoughts, man, what are we thinking about? Man, we're thinking about how we're gonna pay for college. We're wondering if that relationship's gonna work out with that girl. We're thinking about all the problems going on in our life. How often we are just in our heads worrying and thinking. We're looking at these things that terrify us. And I go, how much better we would be if we would be disrupted by Christ. And instead of worrying and being filled with fear and anxiousness, that we would, we would fix our minds and our thoughts on the one constant thing in our lives. Man, I love that Daniel's disturbing thoughts get interrupted by the ancient of days. This is the only time this phrase is used to describe the father. Oh, he just wants to be known, the father. Nickname after nickname, title after title, he just wants us to know him. He's from of old, the very beginning, the ancient of days. This is who our God is. He's not created. He was the only creator. Did you notice the descriptions of our father? Clothing, white like. It's pure. His head is white like wool. It's symbolic of wisdom, life, and holiness. He, 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 he's sitting on this chariot throne. 
fires coming out before him. There's power, there's judgment. There are books that are open, which points to the fact that he knows all things, that every thought and every person's recorded in his book. And this picture of the ancient of days is meant to help us understand that our God's eternally wise and perfectly holy and powerful, and he's loved. Man, he's so loved. It says that thousands upon thousands attended him, 10,000 times 10,000. And in the Old Testament scriptures, that was the highest number that they had. So you think about that passage in scripture where it says, Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed tens of thousands. And this was the scripture's way of saying there is no higher number. And so for us literalists, he's not saying, hey, there were 10,000 people there. He's saying the highest number, you can't even count how many people were there. The ancient of days, holy, perfect, wise, powerful, the, the son of man. One like a son of man was coming on the clouds. And it doesn't say that this was Jesus, but we know it's Jesus. How do we know that? Man, we know it because of the fullness of scripture. Jesus's favorite title for himself was the son of man. In the New Testament, Jesus calls himself the son of man 78 times. Do you know how many times he calls himself the son of God? 25. Overwhelmingly, his favorite title for himself. Why does he do that? Well, because it was a prophetic scripture. And if you knew the prophetic scriptures, you knew what Jesus was saying. Real quick, Mark chapter 14, Jesus, right before he's crucified, he's having this conversation with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. In verse 61 of Mark chapter 14, the high priest asked Jesus, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Verse 62 of Mark 14, listen to how Jesus answered, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one coming on the clouds of heaven. You see, they, they knew he was talking about. The person who rides on the cloud is God. Not an angel, not a messenger, it's God himself. And for us, it's confusing. But for them, man, Jesus was letting these guys in on the secret. Hey, I'm the king. I'm the one who rides on the clouds. I'm the one who's gonna reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and they missed it. Because it wasn't what they thought, it wasn't what they wanted, and they missed it. Don't miss it. The final pillar of prophecy, God doesn't want us to just be in awe of Jesus. God wants us to give him all our love. We're almost done. Verse 14, I think this passage is so important. Daniel 7, 14, the son of man, Jesus, the Messiah, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language. What does that word say? Worshiped him. Guys, we worship what we love. We don't even have to think about it. Worship just naturally pours out of us, whether you're consciously knowing this or not. Worship is so much more than just singing. Worship, it's, it's what you think about, it's what you daydream about, it's what you talk about, it's what you spend your money on, it's what you love. I go, when you think about worship in that category, we worship all sorts of things. We worship ourselves, we worship our kids, we worship our money, we worship our job, we worship vacations. We have no problem thinking about and talking about and spending our money on these things. We are, we are worshipers at heart. The problem is we just so often worship the wrong thing. 
You know, in the days of Jesus' life on earth, so many people knew about him. Even the demons recognized him. Jesus is not looking for a bunch of people who just know a bunch of Bible facts about him. He's looking for people who actually love him and who celebrate him as the king and who love living under his lordship. You know, when you look at the way that Jesus described in this passage of scripture, it says that Jesus was given all authority, all glory, all sovereign power. And how did he choose to leverage those things? What did he do with them? We know this so often when people are given authority and power, man, they misuse it. Man, politicians or crooked gymnastic coaches or people who are put in places of authority. And I go, what did, okay, so Jesus was actually given the full authority, power and sorrow. How did he use it? Well, man, he came to earth and he washed feet. What? Person with all authority, all power wash. When's the last time you washed someone's feet? What else did he do? Man, he called people to repentance. He wasn't just there saying things that people wanted to hear. No, he looked at people and said, your life is going to hell. You're on the path to hell. Course correct, come back. Dang, those are hard words. But he did it because he loves Jesus healed the sick. He brought freedom to those who were in bondage to to shame and sin and their past and the demonic. Jesus, the one with all authority, loved children. Oh, he loved children. Jesus, the one with all power and all sovereignty, man, honored women, lifted them up. And Jesus allowed himself, though he was so powerful, allowed himself to be hung on a cross by people who were much weaker than him. And it was on that cross that Jesus endured the wrath of God over our sin and our rebellion. Our sin, our rebellion. Not somebody else's, ours. I go, if you had everything, would you die for people? For people who would reject you and ignore you and mock you and spit on you? Jesus did. Why in the world did he do that? Don't miss this. Because Jesus, the son of man, his heart is eternally good. That's the kind of king he is. And when that truth gets in your heart, that he is a king first and foremost, who came and leveraged his position and his power and authority to save us and not to enslave us, we give him our love and our worship, our allegiance, the fullness of our lives. And when, when this truth gets in our heart, man, we have no problem laying down our lives, worshiping him with a fullness. Nothing he asks us to do is too hard. And you and I, man, we, we long for the day where Jesus reigns over the whole earth. Can you imagine, man, not having an election cycle and going, dang, who, I'm gonna have to just vote for lesser of who I hate the most or I or hate the least. And it's not always that extreme, but think about how many times we vote and it's like, I really don't like either one of these people. Think about what it's gonna be like to have a king ruling over the whole earth who's just, who's wise, who's completely morally pure, holy, who washes feet, 
who loves the poor, who serves the poor, who thinks about the outsider, who lifts up all people, who values all people. Think about what it's gonna be like to live in a world with that kind of king. And you don't doubt his character, you don't doubt his morals, but there's nothing but just love and gratitude. Oh, you're the king who died for me. <laughs> no one else did that. And we give him all of our love. So what do we do with this? We're gonna take communion here in just a minute. Thanks for hanging with me today. This is heavy heavy stuff. Take it home, chew on it. I'm going to pray in just a minute, but I want to encourage you. As we take communion with the people around you, man, to be really honest. And some of you, man, you're, you've been building your life on the wrong thing. And just share that. Walk in repentance. Some of you, man, you've grown lukewarm. You don't love Jesus. Ask him to revive you. Some of you, man, it's time to start sharing the secret, the secret of Jesus. So let's pray, and then we'll go take communion. And so, Lord, thank you for your words, Lord. I just thank you for your power in them. My God, I pray that if there was anything that was said that was not from you, either what I said or how I said it, please let it be forgiven and forgotten. And Lord, the words that are from you, please let them bear fruit for generations to come. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. God, would you pour... Pour out your spirit on us. Help us to love you more and more. For it not to be a duty. God, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, let's go and take communion. Gather up with people around you. If you want to talk or pray or receive prayer, there'll be some people at the respond band. I would love to receive you and pray with you. Love you all. Thank you.